Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us uh, each Friday for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you, as always. We hope everybody is well. Big week of uh, transition in Washington, D.C. for the entire United States and essentially for the entire world. What did you think of the transfer of power that finally took place on Wednesday? Well, it was in keeping with tradition where there's always the peaceful transfer of power. And um, because of COVID, obviously, the structure of the events was changed. And I guess recent events affected it also certainly changed the climate. The president made an appeal for unity, and now we'll have to see how he implements that. Um, and we've already begun then the the um, ratification process for some of his nominations to see if they can get the approval of Congress. Um, Mr. Blinken, who's the candidate for Secretary of State, testified this week, as did Abraham Haynes, both mentioned Jerusalem. Uh, he spoke about the recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He responded to the question of Israel's racist state, denounced that. He um, also um, he, he addressed some of the uh, other issues in, in that vein and in many other areas. But that's now, and then we'll have to see what the implementation is like. Um, it, it, much speculation, uh, not really recently, but uh, I would say over the last couple of months, about whether President Trump might run again. What about the Vice President Pence? Do you think that after everything that happened toward the end of the administration, he still remains one of the front runners for uh, president uh, for the campaign four years from now? I certainly think he has to be considered as such. I think he, he came out relatively unscathed, but I don't know that he has the base for uh, a run, and he'll face stiff opposition, I assume, from Nikki Haley, from others <clears throat> who may run, Ted Cruz, um, are all, many possibilities. But the party first has to reorganize and rehabilitate itself. Um, they have a, the off-year election in two years, or, which will, could determine again the oh, yeah, control point. of Congress, which is very important, right. and um, because the margins are so narrow. Usually it goes against the, the incumbent government, the party of the incumbent government, but that's not necessarily true anymore. I think everything changes uh, over time, and especially at this time. And we'll have to see whether things will be done to rein in some of the, the excesses of the stuff that was done on the Internet and the you know extremist groups from both sides, and especially for us, the anti-Semitic stuff that is rampant in the in on the internet if there would be steps to control it without limiting free speech um and see what happens when the students get back to campus when you know many things have been delayed because of the covid 19 situation right um but you know they say there's pent-up demand to travel there may be pent-up demand to demonstrate I thought that demand already had been met, but you might be right <laughs> that there'll be more demonstrating out there in protests. I didn't even realize that, uh, that certain cities, Portland, Seattle, had suffered such terrible damage during the inauguration of protests earlier this week. We, did. mm-hmm. we didn't really feel it that much here in this area of the country, but uh, out there, um, again, it was reminiscent of what happened uh, not only during the summer, but in their, their cases uh, for a period of many, many months. Uh, a list of many pardons from uh, President Trump. What do you think of the pardon of uh, Avi Ancela, who, if I if I have the story straight, was the recruiter of Jonathan Pollard? Right. Um, 
look, it's many years. He, it uh, was a request from officials in Israel, and it was granted. I mean, I don't think it has great significance. There are other people right. yeah, I, I would have liked to see uh, pardoned, but, uh, you know, it ends in here, especially with, with Pollard now being in Israel. Is that uh, is his a name that always appeared yeah. on the requests over the years? And, and, again, only because President Trump may have been more sympathetic to the cause or to you know to to follow Israel's request, he went ahead and did it. Like, were you aware of this being a name on that list for for decades? You know, in the White House. No, not decades. But I think most of the time it was raised quietly. Hmm, uh, the Pollard issue. It was generally assessed that you build a backlash in the earlier years when you go too public. But I can tell you, I've sat with one prime minister for another in the White House when they went to, to make the case for, for Pollard. Right. Uh, and uh, Sella's name came up. Um, I can't say that it was a top priority, but I think now you know, he's old and he's right. he wants to be able to travel, I guess. I always forget about that, how close there was, uh, how close it was uh, that President Clinton would pardon Jonathan Pollard. I guess if it's the Clinton era, we're talking about the mid-90s, right? That was... Yeah, I made wow. the request at, a, at the Christmas party. I spoke to him about it, and he stepped out of line with me and wrote it down. And then afterwards explained that the um, that all the agencies were against it. That five out of five that he had it cleared with came out against it. Pollard um, would have been in Israel 25 years earlier, approximately. Wow. Well, at least he would have been out 25 right. years. Yeah, earlier. right. You would know about Israel, right? Correct. But he and, and one of the last things Rabin asked for me, just a couple of days before his assassination, was a message to Clinton about uh, Pollard. Wow. So that nights before. So that's uh, the end of 1995. Wow. Mm-hmm. So long ago it goes back. It, it goes by just uh, in a flash. Unbelievable. Uh, we should make note, and, and look, it's no secret that this audience, not not God forbid you, but this audience has had a complicated relationship with Senator Schumer, but we should make note that now he holds, and therefore, um, uh, as a Jew, he has the the highest office in this country ever achieved by a member of the Jewish faith, and there, th- that has to be acknowledged. We can't let this go by without acknowledging that uh, uh, wh- whatever ceilings there were in existence, and I know obviously Joe Lieberman, when he ran for vice president, had shattered that. Uh, but but still, the fact that he achieved this should be noted. Absolutely. We had people in high positions, Eric Cantor before, uh, Joe Lieberman and others, as you mentioned. But uh, this is uh, a remarkable achievement. He's been waiting for it for a long time. Uh, he was my congressman who, was, who represented our district in, uh, in Brooklyn. <laughs> and, um, I mean, we've had ups and downs over the years, but certainly to acknowledge this is is important, and, and you know there are a lot of articles appearing about how many Jews got appointed right. to key right. positions in the government. You know they're talking about the minion and stuff. Yeah. They don't even have uh, most of the names are not even there yet on the list. They don't know, but uh, I, I think it's not smart. I don't think this is something you trumpet. They're not there because they're Jews. They're there because they have the knowledge base, the, the qualities for for the job. The fact that because they were Jewish didn't. Um, it didn't uh, obviate their opportunity. Was is a positive message about the administration, and hopefully about America. But uh, you know, we often pay a price when, when people don't like a decision that you uh, make. They 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 treat it differently um, than uh, when others. So while it is quite remarkable, and you you look through the list of key positions, 
uh, I, I don't think it's it's something that we should be trumpeting in the press. Well, interesting. I remember a book growing up called The Jewish Connection. Do you remember that? I do. <laughs> and, and I mean, I guess that's a little bit different. It was a thin book at the time. <laughs> and that, that was a book that, that trumpeted all the accomplishments. But I guess that's different. I hear what you're saying. I guess that's different. This is being done more uh, from an angle of look at the influence that the Jewish community has in Washington as opposed mm-hmm. to just recognizing great achievements by Jews in different areas. I, I hear what you're saying. And but, if there are policies we don't like, they'll say, well, what are you talking about? Right. All these Jews doing it. Right. Yeah. I, you know, it's so funny. After these four years, I forgot now we're going back to that. Where, and, and you, when you visit the White House and you visit the Capitol, you're going to have the same thing again where, you know, where you're going to be, you're going to be told, you know, well, why are you, why are you, um, you know, yelling at us when it's your own people that are going ahead and, and uh, administering, you know, these types of policies or, or, or well, these well, types of opinions. Well, those are the people we actually would be meeting with. So if they're, if they're complaining, they're yelling at themselves. But um, look, I think, that, as I said, the comments in the hearings this week were, were positive and sent a good message. The very fact that the PA complained about it and protested it is a sign that it was it was good. But <laughs> but true. there are other signs, you know, that they will reopen a Palestinian presence in Jerusalem, representative uh, presence, that they will maybe change the laws on the on the settlements that were put in about the pro- uh, labeling. I mean, there are a lot of things that that could right. go by the wayside. I don't believe that you're going to see a massacre of these things, and then it's going to start right off. And um, you may have one, a couple decisions, but I don't think that the intent now is to, to rush into anything, including the JCPOA. Right. It's funny. You don't have it easy no matter who's in office. <laughs> Always. It's really funny. People think it might be right. easier for you. We never get a vacation. It doesn't right. matter, you know. If the left rules in Israel or the right rules in Israel or the same, you know, two possibilities here, it doesn't matter. No matter what the uh, the matchup is, it doesn't seem to ever go smoothly. But, but our goal is that, that if the support is from the right and they're very supportive, then we have to shore up the support on the left. Right. If the left, we have to shore support up on the right. That's we can't true. afford to write off significant portions of the American people. So whether it's Christian or black or Hispanic support, whether it's young or it's old, whatever, our job doesn't change because there will always be somebody who's on the outs and somebody who will say, oh, you're associated with me. You remember when Harper was the very pro-Israel prime minister right. of Canada? Sure. And I said it because it's easier for American audiences to talk about that more right. dispassionately. And the pro-Israel numbers sunk right. because if you were against Harper, then you were against Israel mm-hmm. because he was so closely associated with it. Yeah, unbelievable. By the way, I have no evidence for this, but I, I have to mention it because uh, it, it was somewhat disturbing. You saw what happened this week, the investigation of National Guards, National Guard troops with extremist right. ties, etc. And, and I get that, and I understand that there is a level of importance for that security-wise. But don't you wish, and again, I have no evidence to the other side, so this is just speculating, but I'd like your comment. Don't you wish that sometimes they would spend some time or more time investigating extremist ties uh, when it comes to... Um, uh, when it comes to radical Muslims and and those who might be part of the U.S. Army or the National Guard, and some of them, of course, as we know, have become violent and actually have you know murdered people in, in the process of uh, of um, uh, uh, of their um, enlistment in, in in the army. I mean, d- d- again, I have no evidence that they really don't vet them, but don't you get the feeling that they need to spend more time vetting them as well? The French government actually this week called on the U.S. to do more to fight Islamist extremism, which is extremists, which is really quite strange coming from yeah. France. But they are on the forefront, you know, paying the price for it. I think that 
various administrations have taken different stands, the people who head the Department of Homeland Security. It is not that the issue is ignored. You saw that an Iranian was arrested this week, a journalist, something else, academic, who who turns out was an employee of the government of Iran and feeding lies into the media over many years. So it isn't that no one does it. I know there are people who focus on these issues who are frustrated that there isn't more action sometimes uh, on it. But, you know, we have such a big country, and the Internet has changed everything. When you go into the dark web, as I have, when you go and see how much manipulation there is, how many thousands of websites, uh, how much um, how much anti-Semitism is, is being manufactured from state-sponsored sites, from extremist sites, from all over, and you can crush a thousand and you know, another two thousand appear, and the the, um, the it's a whole new challenge and threat, and uh, the fact that uh, cyber security uh, an Orthodox woman is a cyber security expert in the National Security Council, maybe they'll call more attention to it. Mm, hopefully. By the way, can you send me a link to that dark web? How come I can ever access this stuff? Your pictures there. It's told everybody, if you want to get the insight, tune in there. You get all the secrets of the conspiracy. But I really want to know. I want to know what's going on and how is it that you have access and I don't see that many. (laughs) It's a long story. Anyway, I expected an email later today, if you don't mind. Um, So is Dan Shapiro the odds-on favorite? He will be United States ambassador to Israel? I don't think so. Oh, you don't uh, think, think so? He, I think he is a candidate. Uh, I don't know if we're at the point of of, uh, of a favorite candidate. Oh, wow. There are several uh, that I know of. And um, I don't know what his intent is. Uh, there are many who think that, uh, and I've spoken to him about it, but a long time ago, uh, that think he wants a, a policy position, something more significant. Others uh, indicate that he really wants to stay in Israel, that his kids... You know, I think going to the army, one of them in a, in a year or so, or there's they're in school there, and he, one of the reasons he stayed was to let them finish. But he has, you know, he's working there, and I think if they find an appropriate position in Washington, he probably would take that as well. But the, the, the decision hasn't been made. Did you see that the United States embassy briefly included the West Bank and Gaza in their Twitter? Handle? I don't know that that's true. That may have been a total yeah. hoax. Interesting, because they made it, and it could be just somebody there put it up, and you know, as a joke or the parting gift or something, hmm. saying this is the change. So I haven't found anything serious. You don't know what to believe these days anymore. That is true. That's why you have the dark web to check out. (laughs) They say say don't believe everything you read. Now you have to Don't believe anything you read. Don't believe anything you see at this point. Especially especially with all the memes and everything. If I believed everything that I saw, then Bernie Sanders would be everywhere at this point. Uh, (laughs) That is the funniest thing. I mean, that uh, is right. (laughs) Unbelievable, I'll tell you. Uh, the quintessential old Jewish man. I thought I would see him in a, with a background of the Catskills. Uh, <laughs> with that you didn't picture. see that one yet? It probably yeah. is out there already, I would assume. Uh, Gilad Erdan, uh, do you assume that both as Israeli ambassador to the United States and Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, he will get along fine with the Biden administration? Well, I think he'll, that as Ambassador Washington, he'll get along fine with the ambassador to the UN, but I don't know that um, he will be able to keep both jobs. Uh, remember, we have an election coming in oh, right. in March, right. and that could all change again. He could either go back to the UN because in November originally it was supposed to change anyway, right. and the former head of the Air Force was supposed to become the ambassador under the 
change of government with um, Blue and White. That obviously is not happening now, but um, we'll have to see whether this remains policy. It's not a good idea to have one ambassador to both places. It's too important work to be done. Uh, I think it's an, an interim measure at most. I wonder why they didn't just appoint somebody else already, or as you're saying, because of the whole blue and white deal, it would have been unfair of Netanyahu to to choose somebody else's ambassador? Well, that was earlier, yes, but I think for right now, he doesn't want to do anything before the election. He doesn't want to do anything. Uh, He doesn't want to touch anything at this point. (laughs) And and we see how much, uh, you know, this week was so so much evidence in the release of of, uh, changing alliances and disruptions in, in the election. But I don't mean Israel. I'm talking about the PA. It's just been an amazing week to watch Dachlan releasing information that Abbas stole $2 billion, embezzled $2 billion. Dachlan obviously was a high-ranking PA official who escaped to Jordan and then has been living in the UAE for a long time, and I actually met him there. He uh, has the backing of the Egyptians and the Qataris. He's um, been the liaison sort of to the to Gaza for them and for Israel, but he he's challenging Abbas, who's now in the seventeenth year of his four year term, and he will be um, oh. you know we're going to get into a very heated election. For you have three stages: you have election for the um, Palestinian National Council, Palestinian Legislative Council, and the um, and for uh, president, and they're on different dates over several months. So he may come back. He may he may go back and challenge him actually in an election. Right. So you know they all threaten. His life is being threatened as are uh, others. Yeah. And how would each one make... of each one of the candidates has their own malicious? Uh, seriously. Uh, yeah, and but how would he make it back? That's what I'm saying. Like it would be almost. Well, he can a... get back. He might be arrested. He might be threatened. Right. He might run the election in absentia and. Um, which has been done in places. Uh, has it been see, won? Can he unite the, uh, the Gaza and the West Bank vote? I mean, there are a lot of... Um, One second. Uh, ha- has an election like that ever happened in abstention where the candidate won, not being in the country? It, not there, but yes. In place, it has? There have been, There's a precedent you, you, for that? You know, where where you have somebody who was arrested or had a leave and the people vote them in. Yeah, I, I can't name the names, but I know that it's happened. Who's the Abbas favorite to take over for him? Abbas. No, but seriously, is there anybody like uh, he? He'll, he'll be a candidate. Yes. What is, what is he like? Eighty-two years old. Eighty-five. And he'll be a candidate again. Yes. Well, and th- that's the issue. I mean, obviously, it's being uh, discussed, but he needs it because that's where his kids have become hundred millionaires, each of them, or billionaires collectively, and it's a kleptocracy. And you know, if you if you're out of government, they then expose all these things. Uh, so he. He wants to stay in power. I'm sure there are elements that want to keep him there because it's, you know, the easiest option. The divisions are so great between the different uh, factions and different uh, uh, parties. And people should read the stories about, you know, what Dahlan uh, reveals about Abbas, including the plot to kill him, uh, because they obviously taped uh, a lot of this stuff. And uh, and they hear uh, Sari Nuseba, that many of your people will remember, about uh, uh, describing Abbas's behavior as mafia conduct, so there, you know, there's a lot of dissension from him and about him already. So we, we will have to see. It's it's um, it's very contentious, and I guess being neighbors of Israel, they learned from Israel well 
about how not to run elections, beat <laughs> 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 elections. Well, well, they're, they're they're ahead of the game. They already have three elections coming up, so they're way ahead of the game. <laughs> four, yeah, or four elections. No, not Israel. I'm talking about the PA. They already have right. three scheduled. Like well, they, that's they don't even parts of one election. No, I know. I'm kidding around. <laughs> right, but but um, it's true. That's why they don't have them in the middle. They say Israel has the the lock on the election, so that's why they didn't have one for 15 years. <laughs> it's America's one and only Jewish moment in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Round the world, the web, at com and the Malcolm Single Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Homelines with us. What's his relationship with Hamas right now? Are they are the PA and Hamas in a peace treaty right now? I wouldn't say a peace treaty. I think there's a tolerance level right now where they serve each other's purposes, but they obviously have different goals. Hamas wants to take over, and the goal of, of Abbas and his rationale and hope I guess the base in which he hopes to get support from outside is that he is the only one who can beat Hamas from uh, winning. As you know, they won in the last legislative council election. Uh, so, you know, they they are, um, I think, in a stage of tolerance would be an exaggeration even. <laughs> they're, and, somewhat, they're somewhat getting along. <laughs> right. Um, well, they have respect for his age, I guess. No, that might be. No. Did they both? Did they both? Did they both the PA and Hamas congratulate President Biden? I'm being serious. Did they, did they have public statements congratulating him? Uh, Hamas, uh, the um, PA, for sure. Did, but they also were very critical of Blinken's testimony, right? And you know, already put out uh, markers, um, trying to take advantage of the things that they believe that they have an opportunity to to gain uh, right now. But most of all, they want money restored, and they want their Washington office restored, right. and uh, the presence in, in uh, Yerushalayim, and um, servicing the Arabs in West Bank, and... I mean, it's know, likely, it's likely like those that. things are going to happen, right? It's likely. It's certainly a very possible question. Yeah. is timing. The question is right. what conditions, what do we get in return? Do they demand anything in return? Right. What does the PA want? And he'll hide behind the election. He'll say, oh, if you press me too much, you know, Hamas will win, and therefore you got to make concessions. That, that's what they always do. Some of the things that uh, uh, President Biden already did, I mean, the, the list is pretty well known, what he did on Wednesday and Thursday this week in terms of executive orders and reversing certain things in the prior administration. But some of the things we can't get a handle on, like... Um, the UAE, right? So they, they, do, they, they go about with this purchase in the U.S. of the F-35s and drones, the... Uh, weaponized drones it, mm-hmm. it, if it wouldn't have happened before trump left would those sales have been canceled would would the biden administration have dealt with the uae differently especially in light of the fact that obviously it was one of trump's great achievements like is that something that we know about the possible reversal when it comes to iran and we'll talk about that in a minute but is this also one of those things that can be reversed by the biden administration I'm pretty sure it can, and um, I mean, I haven't read the contract, but uh, none of these contracts are viable, and I think um, they rushed to finish it because at the least it would take months to get a new one done, and they want these planes badly. And the administration has a, seems to be more tolerant towards the UAE than they are towards Saudi Arabia, um, Egypt and others, but the UAE, they throw into it, you know, on human rights and other grounds. Mm. So I think that their concern was that it would at least take a long time to get the deal ratified anew, or get a deal anew, and so they rushed to sign it. 
I mean, I know that it's only two days old, the administration, but you know, there there was hope that Saudi Arabia and others would follow suit with the whole Abraham Accords. Is, is there any reason to think that that still can't go forward, or there won't be much enthusiasm for it coming out of Washington now? I do think it can go forward. I think that there are uh, opportunities for it. Um, I know that uh, Indonesia was one of the countries that they uh, were looking at uh, for a possibility of relationships. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I don't think Pakistan will happen. We've seen the huge demonstrations there against uh, Israel this week. Uh, Saudi Arabia could still happen. I think they're waiting to see what happens with the uh, new administration. Do they, you know, if they're going to pay the price internally for renewing relations or establishing relations, right. do they do they get something from the administration? Will they push them to do it and you know become a basis for better dialogue? It's a lot that goes into a decision like this. Russia sent the message to Israel this week that they want to handle Syria. Israel, of course, had some action um, in the in you know northwest of Israel uh, this week. Uh, is this going to be a a different type of relationship in terms of how Russia and Israel insist on how each other deal with Syria now that the administration in the U.S. is different, or is this a completely Russia Israel topic, and it doesn't matter who the administration is in Washington? Well, it always matters who who the administration is, and people always look to keep their options open. Uh, But more than that, Russia is a key player in um, um, Syria and the region generally, but particularly Syria. You know, they fired 40 missiles against uh, ISIS in in Syria. They attacked them, and they they have the bases. They have the control over the missile system and air defense systems. They have a great capacity there and presence. And the thing that brings them all together is wanting to see Iran out. And there were reports this week that uh, Gabi Eisenkamp, the former chief of staff and uh, a Russian general and, um, and a, Syrian, a top Syrian military person met in the um, Air Force Base, the Russian Air Force Base, wow. at, uh, in Syria. Uh, again, I'm not saying it took place. I'm telling you what the reports are. Right. And they discussed the removal of uh, Syria of Iran from Syria. Israel insists that it's not just Hezbollah, the militias, and the Iranian presence. The stopping of the um, you know the shipments of all these weapons, especially the precision guidance systems that go to to Lebanon and enable them to affix it to missiles, to hundred thousand missiles they have, plus maybe one hundred fifty thousand. Uh, and that will give them the ability to target specific sites, whether it's the offshore oil rigs or the Mona or other places. Right now, when they fire, they don't know where the missiles land, including on their own territory. So the um, uh, the, th- the three of them really would get together to cooperate on that and have the shared interest, and Israel wouldn't have to strike as often. The Israel strike in the la- strikes in the last uh, couple of weeks were very effective and very extensive uh, and of course, there's always protests about it, but you know they they are careful who they target, and it's in the Syrian government's interest because they don't like the Iranians and don't want these groups there, um, and the Russians. And so, you know, you have a confluence of interest. The question is, how does it play out? How far do they go? Did that meeting really take place, or was it something somebody intended? Uh, I think that there's possible reason to believe that it actually. Um, uh, many Iranian fighters we know were abandoning their pro-Iran militias and switching to Russians and uh, forces because they feared the Israeli retaliation attacks. So that um, that 
it's another sign that internally people uh, forces are beginning to to recognize that uh, it's dangerous to to be associated with the Iranians. So if Syria understands it's in their best interest to have Iran and the Iranians out, do they need military and physical help from Russia and Israel to make it happen? Like why has Iran is so integrated into into Russia that probably 150 places where they have troops and bases they have underground facilities they have storage facilities and manufacturing facilities Israel has struck there you know a couple thousand right. times over the years and whatever they took out now we know that they have underground facilities which um, which they're using to store missile parts and uh, uh, other um, uh, systems so that they to get them out, it's, it'll be a big issue, and they're not going to leave easily because they see this both as part of the Shiite crescent, which is critical, and they're afraid that after that Iraq would be next. Uh, so uh, we also saw that the EU started coming out against some of the Iranian militias, um, and you know it's a lot of things that are in flux at the, at the same time. You know they announced that they can produce a half a kilo of twenty percent uranium in a month. That that's the Europeans back. Unfortunately, they don't have the Kishkas to take the right steps, but you had Operation Great Profit, which I think I mentioned. You know, we had these very extensive military drills of all kinds, and they fired missiles, ballistic missiles, into the Indian Ocean, landing 100 miles from the carrier group, the Nimitz carrier group, and 20 miles from a commercial ship. But they were demonstrating their ability to target vessels, and they put mock vessels there. Uh, and that their missile technology, their nuclear capacity, all of these things are improving all throughout this time. So their breakout time will be much reduced. Unbelievable. Um, uh, I may ask you this question every week for the next God knows how long, but uh, everyone wants to know what your impressions are now about that Iran deal. I mean, are there any signals yet from Washington about what direction they're going to go in? Is it inevitable? Is it going to take a long time? Will there be a lengthy negotiation? What do you see? in terms of uh, Biden doing, President Biden doing what he did with so many other things this week, in terms of reversing what the Trump administration did, will he in fact go ahead and do that with the Iran deal? Well, it's speculative on my part, but I do not believe they're going to rush in. Avril Haines, the new director of national intelligence, said that very clearly, that they wouldn't rush into an Iranian deal, and that there will be consultations with Israel, uh, Blinken said, and, and the Arab states before they go back into the deal. Uh, and, I, and I tell you, when you see the statements, Rouhani said Trump died while the deal lives. And, and oh, so the, 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 oh. that's right. And you notice that you didn't see a headline in any of the papers of when a, a leader of another country can make that kind of assertion. And Zarif, the foreign minister, said that this, the Iranian missile program will not be subject to any negotiations. He said, we have the deal. It's in paper. You, you, they have to come back and deal with it um, on the deal that we had uh, uh, agreed. Right. And um, he said the deal was on uh, life support, I think was the term he used. So he said uh, they have to act on it or, the, you know, no deal. But, of course, they need the deal desperately. And the the economic conditions, everything in there is is terrible, and a lot of it's contingent on on uh, getting every getting U.S. back and relifting some of the sanctions and restrictions. They're demanding compensation for the sanctions of past, which can't happen. I hope, um, and I have to get the EU, the Europeans, to to really step up to the plate. They talk about the Islamic extremists, they talk about Iran, but they want the deal. But the problem is, they want it too badly, and they they negotiated poorly before, and they can't press the U.S. to do it again.
Uh, you know Benny Begin pretty well. Aren't you surprised yeah. that he's now joining Gidon Sar's party? I, I always got the impression that he just did not like the entire Israeli political scene. That is correct. So. Uh, but he doesn't like Netanyahu maybe more, or he doesn't. He just, uh, you know, he's been on the outside for a long time. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a very honorable person. Um, I don't know that his father would have approved of this, but would have understood. And it's not leaving Likud because Cyrus is essentially a break off, right. break away from Likud. Uh, and I think he he, in, he before endorsed um, breakaways within Likud. So it will give his name obviously brings some weight and credibility to the to Cyrus ticket. Um, but nobody should shortchange uh, Netanyahu. And you know we're, we're headed quickly towards that election. It's not far off. And a lot is at stake. And if they are able to finish the vaccination, if they're able to do other things, that will be very beneficial to him. Um, we we'll have to see. Are people too tired of these elections to go to vote? Will they? How much will the individuals make a difference? Uh, I get calls from people who want to join various parties. So it seems that there's a sort of free for all. Yeah, you're, you're being and you're being and you're being serious when you say that. Uh, absolutely serious. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Finally, again, that's uh, two months from tomorrow. The 10th of Nissan would be the day of the Israeli election. Uh, finally, any update? I mean, I, I see the uh, the lockdown continues. The no, second... it's not on a Saturday. No, no, two months from tomorrow right. on the Jewish calendar. I just calendar. want to make sure your audience right. knows that they're having an election job. The 10th ten, of Nissan, which this year is on a Tuesday. Yeah, you don't have to right. remember. You don't have to worry. Um, the Segar, the lockdown continues. I mean, it's amazing. The the rate of vaccination continues to go up, and it seems the rate of infection continues to go up. But I'm assuming that the that the assumption in Israel is that if they give it another week or two, they should see a a drastic shift in numbers. I would guess uh, based uh, in terms of infection and mortality rates. As we see patients is running out, we see in the, the quarantine hotels, the, the film that everybody has seen that gets out about the, the unrest of the people. Um, I speak to people. It, it's just psychologically very depressing. The economy. Yeah, here to too, by okay. the way, not, not just Israel. Here too. Here too, but I'm talking about in Israel right now because right. the crackdown is much more strict. Right. Uh, and and university applied police are everywhere. You can. You know, you're not allowed to really go out even for walks and stuff, but if you're walking your dog, it's all right. So they have this picture of five Hasidim, each one holding one string tied to a dog. <laughs> the same dog. And, uh, uh, Some so dogs a need a lot of humor, attention. As you, as you know from the sites, but the, um, I think the, the tether is going shorter and shorter for uh, the people's tolerance for all of this. And the hotels, especially, they, they want to get operative, but certainly by Pesach. Uh, I can't imagine what it'll be like if they can't. And so the government is under a lot of pressure. The people are, are pressuring. Uh, but they, if they see the numbers, and it, you have to cross a thir- certain threshold of inoculation towards what they call, uh, you know, group immunity or herd immunity. Uh, nobody knows for sure if that works, but at least they're they're heading towards that very quickly. And then they can start lifting. They're talking already about dates to lift some of the restrictions. Can't believe almost a year later we're still talking about this. It's unbelievable. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and I hope everybody takes care. And even if you got to the vaccinations, still wear a mask and still take care of this. It's, it's, it's a strange disease, and we don't know all the rules, whether you can be a carrier, even if you have antibodies, whether you, you know, can catch uh, one of the new strains that are around. So we plead with people just to continue the restrictions. It's not so onerous. 
and if they think they're getting away with something by going to weddings or you know big gatherings, un- uncontrolled big gatherings, they're not. They're, they're putting themselves and everybody else at risk. Have you been um, observing people observing the rules at social events over the last few weeks, or you'd like to see them observe them a bit more? No, I'd like to see them observe it a lot more. I, I go don't go to social events generally, and I, I, I don't go to indoor events at all as a rule. Um, and unless they're you know really strict in, in observance, because it's 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 a be real risk. You know, and it's a kind of You don't have a right to do it. Yeah. You know, it's halachic issue there too. That you know you gotta They gotta guard your your soul, your health, your body, yeah. and everybody else's. Hundred percent. I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Holine is Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays here for the weekly update on JM in the AM.